Welcome to the Rediscovering Biblical Manhood podcast. We're growing men who fear the Lord, but do not fear our identity in Christ. The enemy is hard at work in our fallen world. So come on, join us in fighting for the restoration of men's hearts through the church, the word, and our risen Savior, Jesus. Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of Rediscovering Biblical Manhood. This is your host, Chica. I am solo right now without my buddy co-pilot, Jay Teresi, who is uh, laying flat on his back as I was much of this week. We both got slammed with the bug. So thank you for your prayers. And, you know, we are praying for the health of all of our Christian brothers and sisters across the world. Um, So today, in place of us having a rough, snotty conversation, uh, we've decided to throw in a clip that was taken from a men's ministry event that we held right before the Christmas break last year. Um, I gathered 15 to 20 gentlemen in our local church into a room, and we were led by a couple of our Messianic um, rabbis, actually, into what we would know as a cedar meal. And for those of you on the podcast right now that have never experienced a traditional dinner that Jews partake in, Um, as part of their Passover celebration, uh, the cedar meal is something that we got to celebrate right before Christmas, which may have been a little out of order, but the traditional piece and the tie back to Christianity and Jesus was phenomenal. Um, And so for those of you wondering, how do you spell cedar? It's S-E-D-E-R. And basically the Hebrew word for cedar means order. And we are going to get into a lot more of the in-depth parts of the meal uh, over the next 20 odd minutes so sit back relax enjoy um, take lots of notes because there could be a lot of doors that fly open as they did for me when you learn about the symbolism to what jews do throughout throughout their celebration of passover uh, and how it actually opens the doors towards our belief and faith in jesus so as we step into this um, recording lord i just ask that you bring your spirit to open up the ears of the listener and that all that is shared may it just reinvoke a flame of um, of fire, of spirit, and uh, of draw back to your will, Lord, as we walk day to day, following the brothers, the Jewish brothers' footsteps uh, that led us to Jesus. Lord, we love you so much. It's in His name we pray. Amen. God bless all of you. Stay healthy, and we will see you next week on the podcast. Enjoy the recording. Now, just as a demonstration, but things like, and the symbolism is what we're talking about here, things like Bethlehem. In Hebrew, the word is Bet-Lechem. Bet-Lechem means house of bread. Out of Bet-Lechem came the bread of life. Okay, God is very purposeful about what he does and how he does it. The question is, do we recognize it? And if we do recognize it, it benefits us. So, that's what this is all about. So tonight, you're going to experience a lot of symbolism, but try to look beyond that and apply it to your life. How does this pertain to me? You know, the slaves were, were set free out of Egypt, and, and what it is, is it's a historical record, yes, but it's a picture of salvation. When we were in bondage to sin, we were slaves. The other thing, Satan doesn't like to be outdone, all right? When we take something away from him that originally belonged to him, meaning ourselves, when we come to faith, he doesn't like that, and he's going to come after us, all right? So 
Being a lukewarm Christian doesn't cut it. Even scripture warns us about that. Alright, so um, a few other things I wanted to go over is um, can anybody tell me what feast time we are in right now? Not Christmas. I think Jewish feast. Hanukkah. Okay. Hanukkah is a celebration of a wonderful miracle of God. Alright? So I'm sure you've seen the Hanukkiahs. They got eight branches and then they got a center one. And the center one is called the Shamash. The Shamash in Hebrew means servant. Christ is a, came as a servant. He brought the light into the world. The Shamash is used to light all the other candles. Okay, so there's there's all kinds of symbolism here. But I wanted to mention briefly the menorah. In the tabernacle, when they were in the wilderness, and when they built the temple, they had a big menorah in the holy place that lit the room. Big, giant, seven-branch menorah, not eight, seven. And they had oil cups that they would fill. The priest had a very specific formula for creating the oil and sanctifying it, and then they would seal it in jars. When the temple was taken over, all this stuff was destroyed, and of course, you know, there, there's the whole story of the Maccabees taking the temple back, cleansing the temple, and they only found one of these sealed jars of oil. That was enough for one day. And they put it in the menorah, and they lit it. And God kept it lit for eight days, allowing them enough time to create new sanctified oil. So that's the whole story of, of Hanukkah. And, uh, and, uh, the oil had to be perfect. Yeah. Right. So, so first, pitch. They, yeah. So they would sow the the olives for eight days and pull out the oil. It, then they would go take the olives, go through a second and third pressing. But when we buy extra virgin olive oil, it means it's the first pressing of the olives, which is usually the best oil, and the best oil was saved for. And that's why it took eight days. It wasn't just a matter of pressing the oil and making it. They had to, it had to be the perfect oil before they pitch it. You all have seen Torah scrolls, right? Okay, big scrolls, right? When, they, when the scribes would scribe a Torah, they would write the whole thing out and they would count the letters from the beginning to the middle, from the end to the middle. And if it didn't add up properly, they would burn the Torah. God knew what he was doing when he picked the Jews to keep his word intact, okay? So, so they were very meticulous. God was very meticulous. Okay, so to be a covenant people, we too need to be meticulous about our lives, about our hearts. Alright? Okay, so getting back to this presentation, this uh, Passover presentation. So Passover encompasses the covenant that Christ made, the Last Supper, okay? His illegal trial, his suffering, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Okay, now, of course, traditional Jewish people don't see that. They, they celebrate it as a historic event of the being saved out of slavery from Egypt. Okay, but again, Looking at the symbolism that God created, this picture that he painted for us from back then is an amazing thing. So traditional Jewish people today, when they celebrate Passover, 
they go through their house top to bottom and clean it. Okay, it has to be spotless. What they're doing is they're looking for any bit of leaven. Leaven in scripture means sin. Leaven is yeast. Okay, so they clean their house top to bottom, but they would leave a little bit of yeast in a, in a couple of places on purpose. Then what they would do is the, the father, the head of the household, would take a candle, or in these days a flashlight, and he would light it, and they would seek out the leaven in the house. When they found the leaven, they would take a feather and a wooden spoon, and they would scrape the leaven onto the wooden spoon. And when they had found all the leaven in the house, they would take the wooden spoon with the yeast on it, and they would put it in a bag, and they would tie it, and they would take it outside and burn it. That's what they did in preparation for Passover. Okay, so what do we have here? Jesus, the light of the world, illuminates sin in our lives. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to remove the sin in our lives. Okay? Sin habits, maybe, you know, things that we can't overcome on our own. With the spoon, with the cross. Sin was taken to the cross. Alright? Jesus was laid in the tomb. He was also bound. He was laid in the tomb. Okay, of course he wasn't burned, but... So the bag represents the tomb. So this is stuff that traditional Jews today practice. They don't see the completion in Yeshua as Messiah. Okay? They see him, they know, they say, oh, he's a great rabbi, he was a prophet, but they won't admit until they come to faith that he was the Messiah of God. By the way, Messiah means anointed one. There were many messiahs. There was only one capital M, the Messiah. Okay? There was a lot of people that were anointed by God. <coughs> but Jesus was something special. Okay? And then the matzah itself. Matzah is striped. Well, it's unleavened. It's flat. Okay? So, representing no sin. Striped. And pierced. If you look at it through the light, you'll see piercings all through it. If this isn't a picture of Christ, I don't know what is. David himself wrote in the Psalms quite a bit about crucifixion. Crucifixion wasn't invented for hundreds of years after David was gone. Okay, so everything in the Old Testament, and you can take this one to the bank, everything in the Old Testament points to Christ. Everything. Okay? So whether it's in conceptual or whether it's it's a, a picture that we can apply to our lives practical, everything in the Old Testament is about Jesus as Messiah. A couple things I'll add. Um, in Bethlehem is where all of the Passover lambs were born. It was the only place where Passover lamb was born. Yep. It was the only lambs that were born in Bethlehem were Passover lambs. 
there was a place called the, the Migdal Idar, or the Tower of the Flock, which was in Bethlehem. When it says that Jesus was born, they would, when, when a male lamb was born, they would wrap it in cloths to keep it so that it was perfect for the Passover. They had to be one year old, so they would wrap it. There, where Jesus was born was born in the Tower of the Flock. He wasn't born in a cave. He wasn't born in a barn. He wasn't born in, I hope I'm not destroying somebody's nativity picture, but he wasn't, he was born at the Tower of the Flock where all of the Passover lambs were born. God is very, and manger is the feeding trough that was at the, the Tower of Magnol. The shepherds that were touched, that were encountered that night, were the priestly shepherds. They weren't priests, they weren't of the line of date of Aaron, but they were the priestly shepherds specifically picked to raise the Passover lambs. So when they said to them that there's this baby lying in a manger, they knew that there was only one manger, that it was at the Tower of the Flock, and that's where they went. Interesting thing is, when I went to Israel, the, 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 the Tower of the Flock would have been within Stone's Throw where Rachel was buried. It was also right there where Ruth and Boaz had their threshing floor. Boaz had his threshing floor where Ruth. So if you read the book of Ruth, it's, it's very interesting. God likes to use the same dates. He likes to use the same pictures. He likes to use the same places throughout the Bible. It's amazing. If I could add yeah. one more thing to this, and I'll be quiet. I'm on my soapbox. Don't this one. It's talking about the north of the, the temple, the holy place in the temple. Seven branches, not eight. The menorah itself is a roadmap for salvation, for God's plan for us. Okay? But wait a minute, the menorah is a Jewish thing. Menorah was came from God's people, and we already agreed we're part of God's people, so that's ours too. The first four branches represent what has already been accomplished by Christ's first coming: Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of First Fruits. Okay, so and uh, Sukkot, which is Pentecost. You know, we should show a little. Shabbat, sorry. Thank you. Feast uh, of Weeks. Feast of Weeks, right. Okay, so these first four branches represent what Christ has already accomplished. The next three branches represent what he will accomplish when he returns. It's Yom Teruah, which is Feast of Trumpets. Yom Kippur, which is Day of Judgment. And then the Feast of Tabernacles. So those last three things have yet to be accomplished. Yom Teruah is the Feast of Trumpets. The trumpet, which in their lingo was shofar, it was a ram's horn. And this is a traditional ram's horn. This one's kind of nasally. No, don't like blowing a ram's horn. This shofar came from a kuda, which is a uh, antelope, African antelope. What a beautiful animal that must have been. But this too is a kosher horn. The shofar. So the shofar was used for many different things. It was called beating, 
It was a warning. It was a call to war, a call to battle. Uh, there were different cadences. But its most important function is to herald the coming of a king. When Jesus returns, we will hear, the whole earth will hear the blowing of the shofar because he will be heralded when he returns. What happens after he returns? Judgment. Okay? Day of judgment. All right? And what happens after judgment? Tabernacles. Tabernacle means dwelling with us. Thousand-year reign, he will dwell with us. Okay? So these things that are so Jewish are just so God. Okay? So the menorah is a roadmap of what is going to be done and what has been done. Um, and the last thing I wanted to do was that um, the menorah and the shofar, yeah, out of all the things I've lost, I miss my mind the most, I think. <laughs> the, um, you can as, as all the lambs from Passover were raised in Bethlehem. And Moses says in the book of Exodus, when they had the first Passover, and then they were to celebrate this, on the 10th day of Nisan, the 10th day of the first month, they were to bring the lamb into their house. And in the day that Jesus in Jesus' day, the 10th of Nisan would be the day that they would bring the lambs from Bethlehem to the temple, and they would go to the temple and get inspected by all the, the priests to be spotless. The 10th of Nisan would have been the same day that Jesus came in on a donkey, and he immediately went to the temple, and he cleansed the temple, but, he, but the Gospel of Mark says that he presented himself in the temple as the Passover lamb, as the perfect Passover lamb. Now the 10th of Nisan is also the day that Joshua would lead Israel across the Jordan and into the Promised Land. Yep. yep. God is perfect on his dates. And he, and has, has, and he had a plan from the beginning. Oh. That's what it was. <laughs> Just reminded. Okay, so you guys know the Passover story in general, okay? Uh, which we'll go over. In which goes over. Yeah, it's part of it. Um, okay, so the angel of death came through, and the firstborn were killed of the Egyptians. But that's not the way it really works. Okay, so their houses, the, the Hebrews' houses back then, at the door, at the bottom of the door was a little catch basin for water, okay? little indention catch basin. Well, the, the Israelites were told to take this lamb into their house for four days and get to know it like a pet. Then they were to slaughter it. Well, what happens is when they slaughtered the lamb, the blood would get accumulated in the catch basin. Then they were told to take a branch of hyssop, dip it in the blood, and put it on the doorposts and the lentil of their home. Okay, the rabbis say that they didn't just smear the blood like most of the pictures we see. They, they actually put it in the shape of a top 
which is a Hebrew letter that is a tilted T. T, T, T. Where else do we see three T's? On Calvary. All right. Now, I've dipped in the blood, and I've put it on my doorpost and my lentil. I have now just formed cross. And behind the cross, behind the innocent blood of the Lamb, anyone who was inside the house was spared the angel of death. God speaks to us in pictures. Okay? And if we understand the culture, and if we understand the symbolism, and we look at it, it's, it's pretty intense. Alright? So, I just wanted to share that one with you, because that one is a, is a really good When something is mentioned several times in Scripture, it should get our attention. In the beginning of the Scripture, there's a story of a tree. At the very end of Scripture, in the book of Revelation, it ends with the story of a tree. In the middle, Jesus on the cross, it has a tree in the middle. It should get our attention. One of the other things there is at the beginning of the Bible, there is a wedding, Adam and Eve. And at the end, there is a wedding with Christ and his bride. I'm going to tell you a story just before we start about the ancient Hebrew wedding ceremony. The father of the groom would make an arrangement with the bride's father and they would make this arrangement. And then the groom would travel from his home, which was usually in a different village because they didn't want any hanky-panky going on. So he would travel from his home to the bride's home and celebrate a meal. This was called the erosine, or it was the, the engagement meal. And they would share a glass of wine. And then the groom would pay his dowry, a very expensive price. And then he would go home to build a home, a place for them to live in his father's house. And basically they would build an extension. And then only the father would know. And he would send his son. He would, would say, go. And he would go with a procession of his friends. There would be shofar blasts, and he would go to the bride's house. The bride, who had spent this year, usually it was about a year, making a bridal gown, she would sleep in it at night with all of her attendants because she was ready for the bride at all times, or for the groom at all times. I'm going to, to demonstrate that the Passover meal, the, 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 the meal that Jesus shared with the disciples the night before Passover was actually an engagement celebration. We'll look at some of the symbols that are there. But in, in Hebrew culture, in the ancient Hebrew culture, that moment that they had, that they would share that glass of wine, they were considered married. And in fact, if there was any hanky-panky done by the bride in that time, it was considered even a worse offense than adultery after. 
you know what happens if the, if the intendant uh, did not drink from that cup of wine? Yes, she said, and I was going to get to that point. Okay. I was going to get to that point when we get there. But um, this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to go verse 2. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you, I have engaged you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So Paul is saying that he makes some other allusions to us being the bride of Christ. We know that the church is the bride of Christ. We celebrate that. We are the bride of Christ. And this night, when we take this, and we take the glass of wine, there is a symbolism there for us as part of 